It's time for a Big Blue Kickoff Live. Nobody can ever tell you that you couldn't do it because you're dead. On Giants.com. You know what I saw? New York Giant Prime. And the Giants mobile app. We'll punch you in the nose for 60 minutes with a relentless competitive attitude. Part of the Giants Podcast Network. Let's go out there like a bunch of crazy dogs. Welcome to Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live here on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. And we appreciate everybody for tuning in with you for the next 60 minutes as we have a lot to tackle over these next 60 minutes. We'll look ahead to the NFL draft as well as discuss the latest team's transactions. Multiple ways you can interact with us here on the program, 973-667-1960. You could also tweet at us, follow and interact with us using hashtag GiantsChat. I'm at Lance Meadow, one word, last name, M-E-D-O-W. He is at Jay Fiegel's one word as well. And as a reminder, you can find the archive of this show and our entire podcast network brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcast. So as I mentioned a little later on, we'll get into the fact that the Giants parted ways with a key offensive lineman. But right off the top, today we're going to start our full preview of the 2021 NFL Draft as we go school by school. And today's focus is going to be on Northwestern. And to break down that group of prospects, we are now joined by a very special guest, the publisher, managing editor of WildcatReport.com, which is the Northwestern rival site, none other than Louis Vicaire. Louis, you got Lance Meadow and Jeff Fiegels here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. Greatly appreciate the time today. Hope you and yours are safe and healthy. How's everything on your end? Uh, everything's good. Thanks for having me. I appreciate it. Hi, Louis. Good. Good to have you. Absolutely. Pleasure having you on the program. And let's start with obviously the most notable prospect, given Northwestern had its pro day the other day, and that is offensive lineman Rashawn Slater did not play in 2020. So this was really our first opportunity to see him up close and personal. What jumped out to you, Louie, about his production at his pro day that perhaps could solidify him as the number one rated tackle in this year's class? Yeah, I thought Rashawn had a heck of a day. I mean, he he ran a four nine one uh, at you know six foot four and three hundred and four pounds. So I really show you what kind of speed he has. Um, and then he, he bench bench press. He got thirty three reps, uh, thirty three inch vertical. I think he saw what kind of athlete he is. You know, he's got those feet for tackles. I think the big thing with him. They don't like his arm length. He's, he's got 33-inch arms, which is kind of short for tackle. So there is some talk moving him inside. But I think he proved he's got the, the feet and athleticism to play out at tackle if you need him to. So I think he had a tremendous day. He's going to be either the uh, first or second tackle taken. Louis, I got to see a little bit of his film um, from yesterday. And one thing that was really impressive to me, aside from the 33 33- you know, these guys, if you don't do 30 or more, you're a weak leak, right? I mean, it just seems to be right, the way yeah. it is these days. But talk about his footwork. Um, I was watching some of the, the drills that he was doing, particularly on some of his pass sets. And, uh, wow, I mean, that's, that, that impressed me a lot. And I, I understand that, you know, we had a guy here um, with the Giants and had small hands or, excuse me, small arms, and they put him inside. They made him a guard. But, you know, with that, that type of feet – um, he certainly could play outside, or in, if he is inside, he would do damage on pulling plays and things like that. So to me, um, I think it's a lot about him not playing last year, um, you know, where he has gone between that year and here and how much he's gotten better. But to me, 
Um, you know, there are some people saying that he might be taken above Sewell, but I think regardless, both those players are going to be really good. And I think what I'm trying to say here is I was very, very impressed with his footwork. Uh, by far was one of the things that I, that I thought was the best out of him. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. I, I saw the drills too, and boy, he's got you know he's got the feet of a ballerina fast. for such a <laughs> for such a big guy. Yeah, the, the the kick step and everything. He is he's got some quick feet, and the thing about him, so you know, he's fine moving inside the guard or tackle. I talked to him a couple weeks ago, and he made a pretty emphatic statement: "I'm a tackle. I think I'm the best tackle in the draft." So I think he wants to be out of tackle. He's happy to play inside, and, and that versatility, I think, does him well. He's a guy that played two years at right tackle for Northwestern. He, he started his first game as a true freshman, which is a pretty rare thing in the Big Ten. And then he played one year on the left side at left tackle, and, you know, I think he can play anywhere you want him to play. But uh, you're right, that, that footwork, I think his athleticism is what separates him and makes him such an outstanding prospect. Well, and I think that's a great point, Louis. Versatility in this league is so key, especially with the way that injuries play out. He may be forced to move into another position at some point throughout the course of his career. Speaking of other things that jump out, you just went over where he was lined up throughout his collegiate career. The fact that he did not surrender a sack at all in 2019. I know a lot of people are also referring to the fact that he went up against Chase Young and he handled his own when you look back at just his level of performance, regardless of where he was lined up, why was he such a consistent force, especially when it came to pass protection? I mean, he was that way from day one. Like I said, it's, it's extremely rare for a guy to come in as a true freshman uh, and start in the Big Ten. And he was at right tackle from day one. He, he's so consistent. I think that's a big thing they look for. There are guys that can have good games and, you know, they'll, they'll have a letdown or uh, they'll go up against an elite player and have a rough day or something like that. You know, Rashawn Slater, he was outstanding day in, day out. I think that the game he had against Chase Young in 2019 really opened his eyes, opened people's eyes to him, but uh, it's something that he'd done for three years to that point at Northwestern. He was just such a consistently excellent player. You know, you never had to worry about uh, his performance. And it's funny because he was a guy that was really overlooked coming out of high school. He played at uh, Sugarland, Texas, Clements High School. And I think they won three games in his three years on the varsity. You know, they were they were a bad program, and I think he got overlooked. And Northwestern Kansas and I think Illinois were his only power five offers, you know. So he was a guy that uh, really, you know, a lot of people overlooked, was kind of an underdog, and he came in here and started on day one. I think it surprised everybody, and he's been, uh, you know, just a consistent player ever since. In terms of some of the other prospects that I think are notable throughout the course of this Northwestern class, I want to jump to the defensive side of the ball because actually you could argue, Louie, and we'll get into it, this may be one of the deepest Northwestern classes we've seen in quite some time. <laughs> There's projections that more people will be drafted from Northwestern this year than we've seen in many years. But Greg Newsom, I think, is the other notable player the 6'1 junior cornerback, he certainly has the size, maybe not necessarily the most opportunistic player with just one career interception. But before we get into his play, from what I was reading, from what I heard, 
many people were down on his performance at this pro day, Louis. They said that in the positional drills, he just didn't jump out to them, maybe looked a little sluggish. From what you've seen, from what you've heard, how fair is it to say that his pro day was a bit disappointing based on what people were anticipating? Well, I, honestly, I haven't seen a whole lot of that. I, I thought he had, you know, he ran that four three nine, which really, I think, uh, opened some eyes, and he had a 40-inch vertical leap. So I think he answered any questions about his athleticism. Um, you know, obviously, they didn't have media there, so I wasn't there to see. I, I haven't seen a whole lot of uh, negativity around his uh, drills or things like that, so I, I really can't speak to that. I mean, to me, he's, he's six foot. You, you measure just over six foot and 192 pounds. That's that's awfully big for a corner, and to run a four three nine like he did, and then you look at his tape, and he was just uh, outstanding last season. I think you know, you look at. I've seen so many stats about he was the uh, you know most productive corner. He gave up the fewest receptions and all that kind of stuff all year. I think he's been um, really rocketing up the the draft boards in the last few months here since the end of the season so I I mean I think he probably got himself a, a first round you know that's that's what I have been hearing that he was projected to be a first rounder uh possibly anyway and um I I thought he had a good day yesterday I guess I I, I haven't seen a whole lot of negative things I'll just say that well, one thing you did do is you saw him play, and I think that you could take a lot out of that. And, of course, there's going to be a lot of uh, teams that that's really what they're going to be able to have to go on this year is, is watching the game tape from 2020. Um, what was it that set him over the top, you think, of getting him in? Maybe if it's if he's kind of one of these cusp players, it might be might be a second rounder or moved, moves him up to the first rounder. Is it his physicality? Is it his ability to play uh, anywhere on the field? Um, what do you see that's going to bring him up to that first round uh, pick, if you will, Louis. Yeah, I think it's it's you know that tape. He was an outstanding, productive player at Northwestern, and it's he's a very physical guy. He, he is a guy that will come up and hit people. Um, he is a very confident, very aggressive player. You know, he kind of gave Northwesterns, I'd say they're definitely their secondary, kind of their whole defense, their swagger last year. You know, Northwestern was, uh, I think, number five in the country uh, scoring defense last year. They had the number one pass efficiency defense, and he was a big part of that. You know, he was a guy, he took on David Bell of Purdue, and, you know, not only were they – he got the better of the battle one-on-one. -on -one. You know, this was the number one receiver in the Big Ten last year. But he was, you know, talking trash. And you see him, you know, he was kind of talking to the whole Purdue sideline. You know, that's kind of the player he is. He's very aggressive, very confident, bordering on cocky guy. That's that's how he plays. And, you know, he, he's very physical. He will come up and hit people. Um, I think the only question with him is durability. You know, he was, even last year, he only played six games. He never played a full season. He had a couple mm. injuries, so that's something they'll look at. But the fact that he came in at, you know, six foot and 192 pounds, he has really transformed his body. He was such a, a long, skinny kid when he came in here as a freshman a few years ago. So um, he's a guy that's really uh, bulked up and took advantage of the uh, training table in the weight room, that's for mm -hmm. sure. What were the injuries that he had? Uh, were they serious stuff or just, you know, kind of um, No, yeah, they weren't anything like an ACL or anything like that. He had, I think it was a collarbone one year. I can't remember the other one, but it wasn't, you know, it was just a broken bone. It just kind of, sure. uh, you know, 
freak kind of thing. It wasn't anything I think they'll get too concerned about. We're talking with Louis Vicaire, the publisher, managing editor of WildcatReport.com, the Northwestern rival site. As far as Slater and Newsom go, Louis, from knowing them on and off the field, character-wise, uh, how would you best classify them in terms of their locker room presence and what they could bring perhaps to a team even off the field? Oh, yeah, I, I don't think there'll be any questions about that. They're both uh, smart guys. They're very uh, articulate. I think character-wise, they're both leaders, uh, you know, all those kinds of things. Um, Rashad Slater is a very kind of cerebral guy, you know, even if you saw some of the clips, I was laughing the other day, they had a, when he set his uh, squat record or whatever it was, he was there doing his squats with glasses on, and I thought that was like <laughs> such a Northwestern thing right there, but you know, that's, that's who he is, he's a very, you know, articulate guy, very smart, um, and he's a guy, so last year, you know, he sat out. And not only did he watch all the Northwestern games, but he would go through and watch film every day. And what he would do is cut up highlights for individual players. He'd cut up the video himself and send that to them last season with, like, some pointers on how he thought they could improve and things like that. You know, that's the kind of a teammate and a leader he is. And, and Newsom. Newsom, like I talked about, he's a guy that uh, he's, he's a fearless player. He's very aggressive, very confident, and he's going to bring that into whatever locker room he, he brings. You know, he's going to bring some some of that swagger. He's a confident guy. He's a guy that kind of leads by example more, I think. But um, I don't think there will be any you know off the field kind of questions about those two guys. Well, those two guys are the top prospects in the Northwestern class. Then I think it becomes a question mark about who else could be selected, where may be some of the gems in this group. So I want to get your perspective, at least on the defensive side of the ball. Let's stay there because we were focusing on Newsom. You've got the defensive lineman, Ernest Brown, senior who was hurt in 2019, seemed to have a bounce-back campaign this past year. And then also in the secondary, J.R. Pace, another senior who had one year in which he had four interceptions. As far as those two guys go, where do you see perhaps their ceiling on the NFL level? Yeah, I tell you, Ernest Brown was a guy, I thought he would run a little faster uh, yesterday. I think he ran, he was he was over five at uh He's like 6'4", 270, and he came in at 5.01. Um, so I, I thought he'd run a little bit better. He's an outstanding athlete. He's a guy that hasn't, you know, he wasn't a starter until this year. He was like a situational guy. He's a quick twitch guy they put on the edge. He was their fastest uh, corner pass rusher. Um, so he didn't put up big numbers. Um, and I think it, it, you know, he he gained weight over his career, and he's finally able to, you know, kind of anchor down against the run this year, which is why he finally earned a starting job. And he'll be at the uh, combine too, so he'll get a chance to uh, improve his numbers and show what he can do in drills like that. Because he's he's a guy that's a, a very good athlete. I, I just think, you know, we'll see if it was just a bad day yesterday if he if he could uh, put up some bigger numbers at the combine. Uh, Pace is a guy that, you know, three-plus three, three year starter. He's been the leader back there. He's kind of a ball hawk. He's had a lot of interceptions in his career. Um, he's sort of the, you know, if Greg Newsom was the swagger of the team, I think J.R. Pace was the leader back there, made sure everybody was aligned and was kind of the quarterback of the defense. Um, so he's a guy, I think he ran in the four sevens yesterday, and I know uh, Pat Fitzgerald said that 
someone dropped a, a weight on his foot last week, so that might have wow. affected him a little <laughs> bit. So we'll see. <laughs> you know, yeah. So I don't, <laughs> they didn't uh, disclose who that was, but. Uh, <laughs> Um, and the other guy, I think, is Patty Fisher, who will get a look. Uh, he ran a little slow yesterday, too. He's not a guy that's going to put up big combine numbers, but he's a, a four-year starter. He's made 400 tackles in his career, had 11 forced fumbles, led the nation in both of those categories, you know, the leading active uh, player in both of those categories. So he's a guy that has a lot of tape to put down. I think he'll, you know, I don't, think he'll get drafted necessarily but I he'll get a look in somebody's camp for sure did he play any of the special teams I know he was a starter so I don't know what the Northwestern's policy was that because obviously if a guy is going to come in a late rounder you know a free agent he's going to be required to play some specials uh did he do any of that at Northwestern yeah not much I think he played a little bit um was he on a punt receive punt yeah he played a little bit of uh Yeah, and punt teams and stuff like that, but uh, not too much because, like I said, he was a four-year starter. He was out there starting every game. Of course. Well, when you see him, tell him to get ready. He's going to (laughs) have to play some special teams. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, he's been willing to do it. That's a guy that's – he's a football player through and through. You know, he's from Katy, Texas, and he's a guy that uh, is born and bred to play football. That's what he does. Well, it sounds like he's around the football quite a bit if he's – 400 tackles and leading the country and forced fumbles. So a kind of guy you like to have on your defensive side of the football, uh, taking that football away for sure. So sounds like a guy that, a good guy in the locker room too. You can't ever have enough of those. Oh, yeah, yeah. He was the leader of the defense, no question. And, you know, a four-year starter, I think, speaks for itself. He was a, he was a captain for two of those years and uh, just a tremendous leader. And, uh, you know, he's not a very vocal guy, but he's a guy that led by example. And number 42 was out there, you know, every single game. He was, uh, he was such a uh, positive force for the Wildcats the last four years. Louis, there's usually a lot of depth at wide receiver in every single draft class, and the Giants could very well be interested in adding a wide receiver. I'm not saying that these guys are necessarily going to go extremely high, but Northwestern does have two, and I'm just curious what you've seen specifically out of Ramad Chokiao Bowman because he seemed to have a pretty productive season this past year, and whether or not that's somebody that could sneak on a roster come the draft or maybe as a free agent. Yeah, he had a tremendous senior year you know he's a guy that didn't he was a kind of a situational guy rotation guy for his first three years and he and uh Peyton Ramsey a grad transfer quarterback this year really had some kind of a chemistry this year and he he was a had a tremendous senior year you know he made a lot of uh 50-50 balls he came down with them a lot of contested catches he's a he's a physical kind of uh you know possession receiver um, so he's a guy that I think could get a look. I think he ran a four seven eight uh, yesterday, so it's not outstanding for a uh, wide receiver. But he's you know he's six foot, he's over two hundred pounds, so he's got some potential there. I think as a possession sort of receiver. But the other guy, Riley Lees, I think is the guy that you know he was a punt returner as well. He's, he's a pretty good punt returner. He can make some people miss. Uh, he's kind of a playmaker. He, they had him in the slot position a lot, and uh, he would make a lot of catches over the middle of the field, move the sticks kind of guy. He ran a four four seven yesterday, which is pretty good. He's an outstanding athlete. He's a guy that, uh, you know, he's a quarterback in high school. Took him a year 
to, you know, as a red shirt, kind of learn the position, and he and he got a lot better over his career at wide receiver. So he's a guy I think that could uh, get a look just because, you know, people are always looking for return men and things like that. So I'm sure he'll get into a camp and uh, get a chance to show what he can do too. We're talking with Louis Vicaire, publisher and managing editor of WildcatReport.com, Northwestern Rival site. Louis, last one for me before we let you go. Just want to circle back to Rashad Slater because the Giants do pick 11th overall, and there are some chatter that he could be potential option for the Giants. He also could be in the mix when they're on the board as one of their highly ranked guys. The Giants have invested in a lot of young offensive linemen, at least in last year's draft. If he were to come to an NFL team year one, how much do you think he's the type of player that you slide in, he's a starter day one, he can immediately contribute, as opposed to somebody that may need a little bit more polish based on what you've seen? I think he's a contributor from day one. I think he's a guy that you can plug in there for the next 10 years. You know, he's that kind of player. He did the same. I think the jump from high school to the Big Ten is probably a little bit bigger, you know. And as for a kid, you know, he, I talked to him about that. And he thought that that leap was a bigger one. And he's a guy that came in there and started on day one. Now he talks about himself as a much more polished offensive lineman. He's faced guys like Chase Young. He's played, you know, he started in the Big Ten for three years and faced some of the best defensive linemen in the country. He's got that confidence. He's got that versatility where you can play a lot of different positions. He's a smart kid. He's going to work hard. And he's got those feet. You know, that's something you can't teach. So I think he's a guy that could come in and be a starter uh, on day one and, you know, will he be an all-pro kind of guy? I, I, you know, that's hard to project, but I think he can certainly be a starter, and I think he's a guy that you can plug in there, like I said, for the next decade as, a, you know, a starter on your offensive line. Something tells me the footwork may also be a product of uh, having a dad that played in the NBA in Reggie Slater, so maybe he passed on mm. those genes oh, in, in terms of oh, another absolutely. sport. Yeah, <laughs> yeah he, he talks about that a lot, too. You know, the first thing I – talking about you know how did he get here from you know clements high school and now he's a first round pick and the first thing he talked about was his dad who you know he was like a six foot four center from wyoming and he ended up with a 13-year pro career bounced around all over overseas played for i don't know six or seven nba teams and you know he just he was he's a, he worked hard he was a lunch bucket kind of guy and kind of a pro's pro and, uh, you know, Rashawn talks about he adopted that mentality that uh, that's where he got his work ethic and that's uh, what made him a first-round pick. There you go. He is Louis Vicaire, publishing, publisher, excuse me, managing editor of WildcatReport.com, the Northwestern Rivals site. Louis, greatly appreciate the time and the insight. Yeah. Thanks so much for joining us and look forward to talking to you down the road. Thanks, Louis. Yeah, thanks. Thanks for having me, guys. It was a lot of fun. You're Absolutely. Our pleasure as Louis Vicaire weighing in on the Northwestern class 2021. Some depth, some options mm -hmm. at other positions, but clearly Jeff yeah. Rashawn Slater is the star yeah. of the group, and he's somebody that is expected to be a top 20 pick. It remains to be seen whether or not he'll be the first tackle off well. the board, but I think he helped his cause immensely at his pro day, 33 reps. That certainly jumps out. We talked sure. about the footwork and mm -hmm. the competition that he went up against in the yeah. Big Ten over the last few seasons. 
Well, I, I think you mentioned it to Louie right at the top about his versatility. You know how important versatility is with offensive linemen in the National Football League. So I, I feel like, you know, and you also mentioned about that 11th pick for the Giants. You know, if the Giants have him rated, um, you know, and he's there, and Kevin Zeitler, who just who was just released yesterday, you know, the Giants need a new starting right guard. And, um, you know, if he could slide into a position like that, you never know. So, um Again, this is just all speculation, of course, but the fact is is that you might as well talk about it, Lance. I mean, the guys, if he's sitting there and you look at that type, what I like about him is that some of the offensive plays that the Giants run with those with those guards pulling and getting outside. I mean, you talk about a guy that he, listen, the guy's 300 pounds and he ran a sub five second 40. Come on. <laughs> you know, that's just insane. Um, I guess it just goes along with everything else in the NFL these days, right? These guys that are coming into the league, they're just all just ridiculously fast and strong. And that's why I mentioned, Lance, you know, if you don't do 25 or 30 on the bench press, everybody considers you, you know, number one weak or number two lazy that you haven't been able to get your bench press up there. But um, those offensive linemen, they are strong. <laughs> they have to be moving guys like Leonard Williams and, and, and Tomlinson and those guys inside, right? There's no doubt about it. Well, and that's just a taste of what you'll get in practice. Then yeah. that's not to account for what you're going to see on a weekly basis, to that's your right. point. So yeah. you never have an off week in the National Football League. I think that's been well documented. A reminder, limited giant season tickets are on sale now for the 2021 season. In addition to ticket savings, membership benefits include access to exclusive events, experiences, pre-sales, and more. You can lock in your seat. Starting at just $100, call 888-NYG-1925, or you could visit Giants.com slash tickets for more information. Also, don't miss out on your chance to experience a premier hospitality experience watching Giants games and world-class concerts in 2021 as a Giants suite partner. Limited full-season locations are available, or you could place a deposit for individual games. Call 888-NYG-1925, or you could visit Giants.com slash suites for information before we open up the phone lines at 973-667-1960 you could also tweet at us hashtag giants chat i'm at lance meadow one word last name heavy d-o-w he is at jay fiegel's one word as well i want to piggyback off of what you just brought up jeff because the biggest news at least for the giants is the fact that they did release veteran kevin zeitler and aside from nate solder and his status is still up in the air even though he's under contract i mean those were really the two main veterans everybody else it's the youth movement so after dave gettleman on tuesday made it very clear and i'm paraphrasing a statement where he said hey eventually you got to play the young guys okay you can only hesitate so much mm-hmm. i thought that was maybe an inkling that mm-hmm. they're fully confident and he echoed those sentiments in the andrew thomases the matt parts of the world as well as the shane lemuse that they're going to give these guys as much of an opportunity to solidify the starting jobs as opposed to having veterans on the team to stand in their way. And that seems to be the direction heading into 2021. Oh, it has to be. I, I, you know, to me, who, who now do you put at right guard? Um, I, I, you know, it's, it's going to be, did you move Hernandez over there or do you ask Lemieux to play there now? Do you go out and get a free agent? Um, do you draft somebody? So, um, and again, we're talking about youth and that offensive line is going to be a, a young one. Hopefully they can, all get together and, and have a successful uh, season together and they can start playing along each other for a long time because that's, that's a young group and um, putting a lot of confidence in them. But you know what? When you look at Dave Gettleman and his staff, they drafted all these guys. So they got to have confidence in them. 
And we'll, we're going to see sooner or later what happens here. But um, I, I've said it before, Lance, whether you've been on the show or John or Paul, that, you know, these veterans, as you get into those big contracts as a free agent, you know, three years down the road, four years down the road, whatever it is, um, you know that there's going to be something that has to be adjusted, whether you're going to get released or they're going to, if, you, if they're good enough to be able to restructure. Um, it didn't seem to me like the Giants were willing to do that from the get-go with, with Kevin. Um, and by the way, Kevin is going to be on another team. He's oh, too good 100%. of a football player um, to not be. And this was not a this was not a case of him not being a good football player. This was a flat out case of salary cap, salary cap, salary cap. So, um, but again, like I said, you know, if there's a there's a position in the draft, um, it's going to be an interesting conversation for the next seven weeks. Now that we're going to be start talking about are the Giants going to draft an offensive lineman now? But uh, we'll see what happens. Well, I agree with you, first of all. This is not the lack of performance. This is simply 100%. a financial decision. 100%. Because the cap went down, and you don't have the luxury to hold on to veteran offensive linemen who have been in the league and have gotten to the point where they've earned that type of money. And it's the trend right now across the league, Jeff. Actually, earlier this morning, oh, the man, Chiefs parted yeah. ways with both of their starting tackles. That's right. Mitchell Schwartz and Eric Fisher are both and gone. pro bowlers, too, <laughs> by the way. So, um, and... It's just a product of the environment right now, and unfortunately it happens. And um, I think you're going to see uh, a trend this offseason for free agency. Until that cap goes up, which it could go, you know, it's, it's most likely next year going to go into the 200s, that you see a lot of these players getting advice from their agents to sign one-year deals, okay, and then go into free agency next year. I think the teams will be okay with that because they don't have the money to put out there to sign a guy for long-term big, big money. And then this whole free agency thing will open itself up again next season, and then it'll be uh, like the Roaring Twenties. I think that things will start <laughs> to happen, you know. So uh, don't be surprised if that's kind of the way things go. And also, if you're a player in this league right now, you have to understand that, you know, we talk about timing is everything. For me, when I came into the NFL, it was timing. Uh, Rich Camarillo, who was the punter, they just they were they wanted to make a switch, right? And so it was a perfect timing for me. And um, and just that's part of that's part of life as a football player is that timing is everything. Well, if you're a free agent and you're coming into this season in this offseason hoping to get a big deal, it's not the greatest timing in the world. So I may want to just sign a one year and wait for next year. Yeah, I think that's going to be an absolute trend. I actually threw that out on a previous show. I think it's wise for players to do that because mm -hmm. if the market is going to increase in the years coming, it may not be a huge jump in 2022 because I know they've spread the losses out. But to your point, if you wait patiently, you could be rewarded later on as opposed to locking yourself up now and then missing out on the market truly skyrocketing yeah. in two to three years. So and, I'm completely with you there. And you have to be confident in your, in your ability too. I mean, you know, so, hey, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go out and ball out for another year, and then maybe I'm, I'm even worth more next year than I would have been this year. So um, that's kind of the glass is half full with me, as it always is. I, that's the way I would look at it, you know, unless you're Dak Prescott, who just basically could buy the <laughs> – I mean, wow, that was a big one. That was a big one. But you knew that was coming, and he played that perfectly, didn't he, Lance? I mean, it worked out very nicely. Yeah, Let's put it, it this way. Yeah. Timing is everything, Jeff, as you that's just it. mentioned. Yep, it worked it. out good in, in terms of where the clock struck midnight for uh, Dak Prescott. There's no doubt Ooh. about that. And it's the latest example of quarterbacks get paid. It's all about when 
your time comes up. And yeah. Dak Prescott's name was the latest one called. And you know what's going to happen, Jeff? In a few months or a year, Dak Prescott's contract's going to be topped because somebody else is going to get more money than sure. him. Right? Sure. That's yeah. the trend. So yeah. I think we need to stop worrying about are people overpaid or this and that. It's the market that dictates the value. Now, with respect to your point about the right guard position, the Giants could very well draft somebody. They could experiment moving a tackle inside. They could use Will Hernandez there. As far as internal options, listen, I'm just throwing something out here. I don't Throw think they would go this way only because you just had him settle into center. But, you know, Nick Gates is a versatile guy. If, oh, no, per yeah. se, Jeff, yeah. they were to find the center in the draft or a center in free agency, would they entertain the idea of moving Nick Gates to guard and this way maximizing having all of those guys on the field simultaneously? I, I, I've, 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 I've agree with you there. I've, I've said this about that, that switch a little bit. I think the one thing that you would have to be certain about is the guy that you are going to draft at center, you've got to be all in on him. That he's going to, you know, that he's, if he's not, if well, you think he's better than Nick Gates at center, even coming in as a, as a rookie. Um, oh, it would have to be an upgrade. I'm with you. Yeah. 100%. And because, you, you know, there's some continuity there with Daniel Jones and Nick Gates. As much as you don't think it matters, it does. Um, I also feel that, you know, it, it, it's a lot of people may not think it's a big deal to move from right to left, no matter what position it is, from right guard or right tackle to move to the left side and vice versa. But that does have a little bit to do with things. And, um, you know, where are the Giants at right tackle? I, I believe it's Matt Parrott is going to be your guy. Um, and then I, I just don't. I just think the it, the unknown there is, and I, I can't remember this, and I know that maybe John or you might even remember, but Lemieux, how much right guard experience did he have at Oregon when he played there? Do you remember? I mean, he, he was primarily a left guard. Remember, he had all those consecutive starts at Oregon, if you remember. That yeah, was what yeah. really so, set him apart. Okay. So that's really not nothing. And I don't know much if it was Hernandez that could do that. But, you know, listen, I think that it's it's probably a possibility that you see one of those guys go over there and um, and either win the job or not and be a, a backup. But there's definitely going to be a signing here soon somewhere with the right guard position. It has I to ju- be. I just looked it up. He started 52 consecutive games at left guard, which yes. is what I had pointed okay. to. Shane Lemieux at Oregon. Yeah. He had so. that ridiculous streak where they didn't take him out of that spot. He got some snaps at center. And remember, we were talking to the Oregon head coach, and they tried to get him ready, and that he was working out at center and other positions during the draft process last year. But yeah. as far as on-field experience, he was primarily a left guard at Oregon. Gotcha. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I think that, you know, we talk about the center position. That certainly could be an, uh you could go there. You could definitely go there, but – um, it's going to be interesting to see because I think that uh, some people are going to start talking about it and writing about it, and we'll get some more information on it, and we'll see we'll see what happens. Yeah, it I'm, wouldn't be my first choice. I just threw it out there as yeah. something to at least consider because I'm completely with you. The continuity between the quarterback and the center should not be overlooked. Mm-hmm. So I wouldn't want to all of a sudden play the game of musical chairs, but if you do like a center in the draft and you feel as if Nick Gates' versatility – affords you the flexibility to work him out elsewhere because you know he's comfortable playing just about anywhere. 
the center was the last thing on the list that he hadn't tackled yet, it would be something I'd keep in the back of my mind. It would not be my first priority. It would not be my first choice. And guys, by the way, I looked it up very quickly. Will Hernandez in college, 3,152 snaps at left guard, (laughs) one snap at right guard. (laughs) Well, there you go. So he he had just as many snaps at left guard as... Shane Lemieux, because Shane Lemieux okay. also had over 3,000 snaps at left guard. Yeah. So it's well, lopsided at... on the left side as opposed to the right side. Well, back on the center position, you look at Landon Dickerson from Alabama. He's the one rated center that's probably the highest of all of them. And you got Creed Humphrey, who I actually really like, I think, that, that uh, from OU. But um, if any of those two guys are sitting around, you know, in that third round-ish area, um, I could see that the Giants could be going to there. And, um, you know, and, and maybe having either they have a competition there or to decide that, you know, one of the guys is going to move to ta- to right guard or but that's not that's not very good information as far as, uh, you know, having those two guys, one of them wanting to or you're actually wanting to move one of those guys to right guard. <laughs> you got what was there a whole six games of experience between those other two <laughs> that guys may be pushing it, to be honest, you know, and again, games. that's what I was saying. Like, yeah. I, I don't know. I haven't played the position. I, I know a lot of guys talk about it, but the, the transition from going from one side to the other. How big is it? I don't I don't know. Can it be done? Yes. Um you know, uh, Rob Sale, the new offensive line coach, he's, this is something he's going to have to deal with. And, um, and so is the same with upstairs, trying to find a replacement for Kevin Zeitler now. Listen, they wouldn't, have, they wouldn't have let him go if they didn't have a plan. I can promise you that, you know? Sure. You always have to plan accordingly. And I will say this, all of these teams had to plan accordingly because they knew for months that the salary cap was going to go down. This wasn't a stunning development where it was like, oh, my God. They had to prepare for this. They had to plan for this for months. So now it's just a matter of teams reaching the deadline where they have to make these decisions. And, you know, a lot of times we we forget about Nate Solder in our discussions about the offensive line. We just kind of forget about him, you know. But we can't because either one or two things are going to happen. They're, they're going to, they could be going for more money um, or Nate Solder could be coming back here to play right guard right tackle. And then maybe is maybe one of these other guys moves into that right guard position. So who knows? Because, I mean, I'm not moving Andrew Thomas over to the right side. Are you, Lance? I'm just keeping no, him where I, once he's again, at. You, you want to you know? build chemistry and yeah. stability, yeah. especially with these young guys. You move them around, it's hard for them to develop. So, yeah. I, once again, that would be the last resort. Listen, if an injury happens, you need to move him over to right tackle. That's right. You do it. You do that, right? You get through the season. But, no, I, I would want him coming back on the left side and give Matt Parrott an opportunity to compete at right tackle. And I do think there's value in having a veteran on the roster. I've said that many times. Now, they chose to part ways with Zeitler, and part of that was just unfortunately not having the luxury to retain a guy that's making that much money. But there is still value in having veteran offensive linemen to help the young guys. There's no doubt about that. 973-667-1960 is the telephone number. Lance Meadow, Jeff Eagles with you here. Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. Let's open up the lines. Mario is in Nutley. Mario, welcome to the program. What do you got for us? Hey, um... I, I like how um I think Matt Pert could go to right guard and in free agency, we could get um that right tackle from um from the Bills, Williams. I lost you. You you said Matt Pert is an option to move over to guard. Did to I hear right you? Guard. To right guard. Right, right guard. Yeah. Pert played guard. tackle in college at UConn. He played on the left side and the right side. So you're throwing a guy into the mix that doesn't have guard experience. Yeah. Well, I just don't see how that makes like much veteran, sense. You have a veteran tackle playing, um, playing right tackle. 
and um, from the from um, Daryl Williams from the Bills. So you're saying sign Daryl Williams and then move, but once again, you're moving a player into guard who's never played there. So that's all based on potential. There's no evidence on film to even say that he'd be comfortable in that spot. And just to point it out, by the way, Parrott's strength is his length. Length doesn't matter at guard. Length matters at tackle. So you're almost taking away his biggest strength. You know, he's not the strongest guy either. You want to move him into guard? I'm not, I'm not sure if that's a fit. Yeah, I don't like that move at all. So I we would also not forgot that. to mention about Chad Slade. Is he's still on the roster, right? I mean, I know he wasn't on the active roster, or maybe he was back and forth, but he's also a guard. Is he still around, John? I'd have to see if Chad Slade's scheduled free agent. Chad Slade, I believe, is on the reserve futures list, but mm-hmm. let me double-check that for you. Yeah, I know who's a – because he's listed he's as a guard. Squad. You know, so. Well, he was called up and down from the practice squad last season. Yeah. So he spent time on the active roster, and he was also on the practice squad. He went variety of spots because that's how pretty much the game of musical chairs played out for the Giants last year. What else you got for us, Mario? Well, um – also on on the on the defensive side on D tackle, I'm saying that we can bring a veteran back in from as a former Giant and um, Damian Harris Senior again as a cheap D tackle for one year. Well, I don't even know if Harrison wants to play anymore. You remember he didn't sign with the team until very late last year, and there was some whispers that he may call it quits. So I mean that to me is a more important question: Does he even want to play football anymore? Yeah. Before you start just saying, "Hey, let's bring back a familiar guy," Jonathan Hankins is another guy. Who's a free agent? You could bring him back too. So I mean, well, they yeah, could go back into the pond of former of Giants, but you know, I don't think you're bringing back a guy just because he happened to wear the big blue uniform previously. You bring him back because you think he's I'm actually going to be productive. Well, yeah, I'm just saying that, like, we if, if we have to um, go for like older side for defense, I'm saying that like if we don't if we don't resign Donald Thompson, like because we just franchise tag Leonard Williams the other day, and um. And we have like we don't have like a, a lot of money now since, but like we did um, release Kevin Zeitler, so we free up twelve million in cap. But I'm saying that like if we if we want to go if we want to go older for the tackle for cheaper, I'm saying either go for Williams, now either go for um Harrison or you draft one. Yeah, well, you could absolutely draft a player, and I, I think that makes more sense. And appreciate the phone call, Mario. I think Jeff, if you're going to bringing a player for depth purposes probably makes more sense to develop somebody in the process as opposed to even if you, let's say, we go down the hypothetical road of the last caller. You brought back a Damian Harrison. Or you brought back a Jonathan Hankins. In all likelihood, you're going to give that guy a one-year deal, which means you're then going to have to go back to the drawing board in 2022 mm-hmm. and determine mm-hmm. where you want to go with that position. Yeah. I, I just don't – well, first of all, I just don't see any of those two guys you mentioned even in the I – mean, sure. one of them probably doesn't even want to play football anymore. And the other guy, there's a lot more better options, uh, even if I had to sign somebody for a one-year deal. Um, but I agree with you because, you know what, we know that in, that you try to – you know, you build your team through the draft, not through signing free agents on one-year deals, you know. And – as far as the suggestion about, once again, you got to be careful moving these offensive linemen around who have never played different positions. We just spent an entire conversation, Jeff, talking about the fact that Hernandez and Lemieux were primarily on the left. Okay, mm-hmm. if you wanted to move them to the right, though, because they have guard experience, that's not crazy. But taking a tackle and deciding to now put him in a guard spot for the first time ever in his football career 
is a very big roll of the dice, especially for somebody that's young and still developing. Remember, Matt Parrott played the least amount of snaps. I actually, I went back, I posted this on social media, just to point out, once again, how young this offensive line is. Parrott played 15% of the snaps on the offensive line last year. So that was the lowest number out of everybody. You had Mm -hmm. Gates was at 100, Zeitler was at 99, Andrew Thomas played 96%, Fleming played 90 Hernandez, 52, Lemieux, 50, Paert, 15. And Chad Slade played, I believe, three snaps. So I didn't put him on the list because I don't think we need to calculate 0.3% of the snaps. But for those of you who can't sleep well at night, you now know that he played 0.3% of the snaps. Glad we got that out there. We can now move on. And Lance, My by point the way, hand, real, Lance, real quick, they also yeah. signed Harrison, remember, a couple months ago. He's a center guard combo, too. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. But yep. once again, this is another individual where it's all the unknown. You don't necessarily know what I think you're going to have out of a player like that. That's more for depth purposes as opposed to a legitimate guy that perhaps could start. But that group that I named, those are the guys that got a big group of the starting spots last season, Jeff. So you remove Zeitler. So Gates, third season, second active. Okay, that's what Gates just finished. You had Thomas was a rookie. Hernandez finished his third season. Lemieux was a rookie. Pert was a rookie. Fleming, his seventh season. But remember, Fleming is a free agent. So yeah. we can't necessarily guarantee that he's coming back, which means you're really relying on players that are entering their fourth season or less in the NFL. And most of these guys have played one primary position throughout the course of their career. I don't think it's necessarily the best, game, the best game plan to now throw a guy into a position where he's never had any active snaps. Yeah, I mean, I, I think the closest thing we can kind of come to here is that Nick Gates, I mean, he was not a center by trade, you know, coming in at all. So, you know, it, it can be done, um, but he's kind of a, he was a utility guy. Anyway, he could play all over the place. But, you know, I think it is dangerous when you start moving guys around and, and expecting that they're going to be able to play there. I would rather see somebody drafted free agency to come in and compete for that spot um, and then have a guy like Hernandez who doesn't play a lot of right guard or Lemieux that doesn't play a lot of right guard that could be a backup if he had to because remember you can't have 15 uh, offensive linemen you know you got you got seven or eight of them that they got to play different positions so that's kind of where I would see that those guys you know one of those Lemieux or Hernandez is going to be a backup or one of them is going to move over to starting to the right side. We'll see what happens there. But obviously the Giants, they did it with Nick Gates. They said, hey, we're going to move you in at center, and he's stuck there. Did a pretty darn good job. You know, between Zeitler and Gates, those were your two best offensive linemen last year. 100%. The thing, though, with Gates, though, I would argue is he was given snaps in his previous years during practice at center. Okay, so they were grooming him and preparing, and he had played four of the five positions on the offensive line, so he already proved his versatility. Sure. So I think that certainly helped his transition, to your point, as opposed to taking somebody who played left tackle and right tackle and now throwing him into center. Yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. that, to me, is a little bit more risky. And I'm not saying to take Hernandez or Lemieux and move him to the right guard and say, here, try to play the position. I'm saying one of those guys that doesn't make the starting position at left is going to have to learn how to play a role on the right side while backing up to left. That's just what I think is going to happen. Sure, because because of the numbers game. Jeff, that's right. right? You, you yeah. can't afford to just bring in a guy that's going to be a backup in one position. Hell they no. have to show the flexibility. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. Completely with you. Let's uh, head back to the phone lines as we move along here on Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live, 973-667-1960. Marty is in Manahawkin. What's happening, Marty? Hi, Marty. Hey, how you doing, Lance? 
Go on, Mike. Uh, I just want I just wanted to piggyback on what Jeff had said, and he he's so right about uh, how strong the linemen have to be because if and he would know because he was involved in that game when they when they played the uh, Green Bay Packers in the playoff game. The press conference after that, I remember Mike McCarthy saying that he didn't he didn't realize how strong the uh, Giants linemen were physically, uh, how, um, both the offensive side and the defensive side. So, so Jeff definitely he hit the nail on the head with that. They got to be nasty and strong and big, you know, and fast. Anything else? <laughs> I mean, I no, just hit everything. It. Tall, I guess. You know, I got to make me tall. No, I'm just saying they, they have to check all the boxes to be those guys. They really do. Um, and then when you get a guy that has really, really good technique, um, we talk about footwork all the time and technique. That's just, you know, you add in the strength and the agility and just kind of some of the those kinds of intangibles that you get tested for. You just it makes you a hell of a football player. It really does. Yep. And and, it's, and you can use a lot of that to your advantage, especially when you're matching up a guy that really can't handle strength. You know, he might be a, a very good athlete, but he's not very strong. The other guy's going to win every time. Well, that's why there's only a certain amount of them that, that get into the sport. So. Yeah. Okay, thanks, fellas. You're Hi, welcome, Mark. Appreciate yeah, the phone thank call. You. And it's well, the thing, Lance, when you look at these guys, they've been training since they've been like 14 years old. You know, so, I mean, football today is so different than it was 20 years ago. I mean, these guys are going to all these different camps and, um, you know, their strength training. They've got, they've got strength coaches in high school now that are training these guys. And then when they get to college, they're so far advanced. And then when they're in college, they're getting the same type of training that they are at the NFL level. And by the time they get to the NFL, they've got, now they've got like you know, eight, nine, ten years of training, lifting, those kinds of things, and they're ready to go. And then the really good ones, they just excel. They just get faster and stronger, quicker than all the other guys. Well, and then you add on the technology, too that sure. a lot of these players have access to with respect to their training regiment mm-hmm. that was maybe not available 20 to 30 years ago. Yeah. So the technology that I think has been implemented sometimes even at the high school level, and then maybe they have a private trainer, it I think has put them in a position where by the time they get to college, they're sort of used to that type of a process that they have to take care of their body and they've got to work out as much as they need to focus on the fundamentals on the football field. And you know, to the last caller's point, It just goes to show you with a guy like Dalvin Tomlinson, for example, you can say, hey, his numbers don't jump off the page, but when it comes to strength, when it comes to disruption, he opens things up for other guys. And there's always room for somebody like that on a roster. And that's where you have to really weigh the pros and cons when it comes to the drafted free agency. How much do you value the guys that maybe don't finish the play, but open up the door for teammates around them? Because there's always room for somebody like that. Let's head back to the phone line. Jimmy is in Rose Hill. What's happening, Jimmy? Hi, Jimmy. Hey, guys. How are you? Good. All right, Jimmy. What do you got for us? Um, two things. Two real quick things. I know you're up against it. Uh, number one, um, that interview with the uh, the guy from uh, Northwestern was really was really interesting. Um, and every year when you guys do that, it just gives another further insight into these into these players. You know, it's almost like what the Giants must be doing in terms of their research. So I, I appreciate all of this. He's talking to people who actually seen these guys play. So that was a real interesting uh, conversation. But and one thing that it got me to think about was uh, going back to Works last year. And, um, you know, how, you know, he was one of the four, and a lot of people had him, you know, near the bottom. I didn't think he was going to turn out to be, I thought he was going to be a good 
football player, but um, I remember a lot of the attraction about Wirfs was his athleticism. So I'm thinking the comparison between Slater, Wirfs, the athleticism, Big Ten tackles, played a lot. If Wirfs went 14th, you know, Slater at 11 might not be, you know, that much of a reach. And look how things turned out for, uh, you know, for Tampa Bay with Wirfs. But so that's uh, one thing I'd like to get your thoughts on, that comparison. And then the other thing that I talked to John about um, is the salary cap. Over the last, you know, with the, with the uh, news conference yesterday and Gettleman talking about not liking to kick, kick the can down the road, that got a lot of, you know, reaction on social media. And then later in the afternoon, I was listening to a show, and the conversation was coming up about Gettleman and how he doesn't like to do this and some of these other teams restructure. And the thought that they threw out there, and I don't know enough about the salary cap to even uh, verify what these guys were saying is true, but it was an interesting position they were taking, that maybe it's not so much Gettleman that doesn't like to kick the can down the road, but rather it's an organizational philosophy, because in a lot of situations, to create this space in the cap, teams create these big balloon payments at the end of the contract, and that the Giants may not be as liquid as some of these other franchises, and therefore that's why you don't see a lot of these restructurings that result in balloon payments. Is there any validity to that that point of view or not? And, and I'll take it off the air and listen to your answer. Thanks, guys. Hi, Jimmy. Appreciate the phone call. Well, as a means of comparison, Carson Wentz and Jared Goffsteels, Jeff, <laughs> had it structured where they had a lot – of money on the back end, and now the Rams and the Eagles are paying the price as a result of that. So there's a big risk whenever you kick it down the road with respect to the can, okay? No matter what the position is, by the way. It could be the quarterback. It could be the offensive lineman. So any team that doesn't want to subscribe to that philosophy, I don't think that's wrong for not subscribing to that philosophy. I think the key is – can you plan accordingly that even if you have to put yourself in that position, that you can absorb it? Interestingly, Andrew Brandt, Jeff, who is a, a former Packers front office executive who now does analysis for some media outlets, sure. he brought up a great point in a recent article he wrote, and he said that the Packers didn't really believe in kicking it down the road, but they prepared themselves that when they were going to part ways with Brett Favre because they knew the clock was ticking— They wanted to know that they wouldn't have so much dead money left over. He said that they only had $600,000 of dead money when Brett parted ways with the Packers because they prepared accordingly for that. And they also wanted to make sure that it didn't hurt them when they made the transition to Aaron Rodgers. So if you prepare like that, you can absorb dead money. But that takes a lot of years of preparation as well as an organizational philosophy. Yeah, and the thing that it hurts you kicking the can or the rock, whatever one you want to kick down the road, is it hurts your younger players um, on the front end of it. So, you know, if you're going to go and try to try to sign some of those younger guys to longer-term contracts and you've got all this dead money on your cap space because you kicked the can down the road, um, you you forever will be, will be trying to make up for the kicking can game that you're going to play. So I agree with you. I don't, I don't particularly think it's, uh, I think, I don't think it's wrong not to kick the can down the, uh, the road. 
And there are certain times that maybe you may have to just because of what's going on with your team. But I think in the long run, it hurts the organization and the team and the younger players coming up through your system. And you still have to build your team through the draft, regardless of all of the financial implications that yeah. may take place. So that doesn't, even if you had the philosophy of, we're going to, you know, restructure contracts. We're going to turn things into signing bonuses, which could be spread out over the course of multiple years. You're still not going to fill all your voids in free agency. Because, see, I, the big reaction to that was, well, you should spread out the money and restructure deals so you can afford other free agents this year. That still doesn't take away, though, Jeff, from the importance of the draft. You still need to fundamentally build your team through the draft regardless of what you do to restructure contracts. And even if the Giants had a little bit more flexibility, they're not going to go on a spending spree. Remember, Jeff, we've brought this up time and time again. 2016, the last time they went on a spending spree, mm -hmm. it brought immediate results. But those yeah, results were short-term, and then Gettleman had to clean that up. Mm -hmm. Why would he want to now put himself back in a position that he spent the last few years cleaning up? No, you don't. And one thing about the draft, as you know, it sets the draft. You kind of have an idea of where your draft picks you know, are going to be. And then, by the way, there's no those draft picks, they're all slotted. So you understand what your draft pool amount of money is going to be every season. So, you know, then the rest of it, you can kind of structure your veteran contracts with. But, you know, if you don't have a lot of extra money from those veteran contracts because you got dead money and the Giants have a lot of it, a lot of teams do, um, you know, you have you're stuck. You're basically stuck. And then you just have to hope that, you know, you're you're that you can retain some of your good guys that you drafted, something that the Giants have not done well when you think about it, you know, getting guys on second contracts. Not that all every team does well in that category, but there are a lot of teams that do better than others, keeping their, their, their own guys. Um, and then, you know, so I think that this year with what's happened is, is I think that a lot of people are taking the opportunity this year to say, hey, listen, we, gotta, we don't have a lot of money. We're not going to spend a lot of money. And we're going to hopefully take a year to even get accelerate this and get us out of out of hell that we're in uh, so that next year we can do a little bit better, which now goes back to what you and I were talking about earlier with free agency. I don't see the Giants doing much in free agency this year. I don't think they're going to need to um, or have to or be able to really. So and it's just because the way that, you know, some of these teams have a lot of cash. And by the way, you know, when you think about the Cowboys or some of these other teams that towards the end of the season, Lance, were able to have. 15, 20, 30,000 people in the stands, they were able to make some money. You know, a lot a lot more money than the guys that had zero. So, and I don't know how that gets spread around, but they, they at least had a chance to make some extra money this season. Because of obviously the different rules and regulations across yeah. states in the yeah. United States. And, you know, hopefully it'll balance out as we get set for the 2021 season. But as far as your last point is concerned, the other thing I was going to add on, Jeff, there's nothing wrong with also carrying cap space over from one season to another. You're allowed to do that in the NFL. Mm -hmm. There's no rule that says you've got to spend all of the money. The no. Colts are going to carry $30 million over to this year. And something tells me the Colts are not going to spend all of that $30 million. They're going to save a little bit, so they're probably going to carry some more over to 2022. <laughs> the Jaguars have a boatload of money that they are also carrying over. So the urgency to just restructure contracts so you have money to spend now is also not, to me, wise thinking. You should put yourself in a position where 
maybe you can then carry it over to re-sign guys who are due extensions or target free agents that are going to be available on the market years down the road. That's how front offices stay in a healthy position. They don't think about the now. They think about in a three- to four-year process. Yeah, and that's why it's important to have your capologists and your guys that really understand the system. Yeah. You really have to have them. And every team has them. Um, there's a lot of guys that are, you know, there's some guys that are better than others, but it's a vital importance to your organization to have somebody that thoroughly understands the system, thoroughly understands the ramifications of kicking cans down the road. All of that stuff comes into effect when all of a sudden now uh, you're looking to help your football team and you're going to your capologist and he's looking at you like, well... I don't have any money, buddy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and that's going to be a problem because now we've got to restructure things that go through the yeah, cycle again. Yeah. So, Let's uh, head back to the phone lines. Mark is in California. He joins us. What's happening, Mark? Hi, Mark. Hey, hey how's it going? Good. Doing all right, Mark. What do you got for us? Hey, I got a uh, question on – I know we're going into this draft looking – probably looking for a wide receiver, but um, I'm, I'm, I want to see what you guys have thought on uh, the guys that we do have on the roster right now, like – like, for instance, Austin Mack and, and Benjamin Victor. And, and I'll take you guys' uh, answer off the air. All right. Well, appreciate the phone call. There's a number of young guys on the roster. Remember, they brought in a number of undrafted free agents, and some of them made the active roster like Austin Mack. Others were on the practice squad. Mack, I thought, did a nice job when his number was called because of some injuries. But I don't know if necessarily the Giants have seen enough. I think they do still want to bring in more competition and Dante have the Pettis. best man win. Dante Pettis is another one that was yep. on the roster at the end of the season. A former, I think he was a first-round draft pick, right? Or maybe a second. Um, but, you know, he, he showed a little bit of something. We didn't. He was hurt when he got here. So, um, But I think he's a guy that, that the team is looking for uh, good things out of him. Um, and then we're going to definitely see definitely going to see some some wide receivers drafted by the Giants this year. At least one, that's for sure. And maybe it's up high. We've talked about it. Um, but I think that that now losing Golden Tate um, and also C.J. Board was another guy that, I, that the Giants recently yep. um, had let go. You know, good special teams player. So there is some room to have to bring some guys back or to bring some guys in here. And you're going to see it happen. I believe Board, I think maybe you're referring to Cody Core. Oh, Cody Core, I'm sorry. Right? Yeah, my Cody Core was let go. 100%. That's right. Yeah, that's Cody Core, the special yep. teamer, wide yep. receiver, he was let go. CJ Board was somebody that unfortunately suffered a concussion, remember, mm -hmm. at one point last season, then right. ultimately did return. Derek Dillon was another guy, David Sills, Alex Bachman. You know, they had, once again, they had a number of young guys, but as far as their true potential, they didn't get on the field throughout the course of the regular season. So it's hard to really know that, you know, these guys could come in and be the fifth or the sixth wide receiver. That's why, to your point, Jeff, there's room for them to draft. There's room for them to bring in free agency because I think you want to beef up the competition on the back end and you want to see whether or not you can have a true playmaker or two come in and help complement the likes of Slayton and Shepard. That has to be the big priority for the Giants. There's no doubt about that. Yeah. So that is going to do it for us in terms of Thursday's edition of Big Blue Kickoff Live. A few reminders. Ian Rappaport is the latest guest on the Giants Huddle podcast from nice. NFL Network. So you could check that out. That is up on Giants.com as well as the mobile app. He will provide the latest in terms of free agency as well as the salary cap. We'll be back up and running again tomorrow at 12 p.m. Eastern right here on Big Blue Kickoff Live. We'll continue to preview the draft. Dane Brugler will be our special guest. So stay locked to that. Jeff, always a pleasure going back and forth. We'll speak yes. down the road. Thank you, Lance. You got it. Big Blue Kickoff Live. 
is brought to you by Investors Bank on the Giants mobile app, podcast platforms everywhere, and at Giants.com slash podcasts. For Jeff Eagles, I'm Lance Meadow. We'll speak to you on Friday. Have a good one.